Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on Spoilerverse.com. But if you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcatcher, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at SpoilerCountry at gmail.com. of the Republic of Spoilerverse. Welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kenner Gregan. That is Mr. Horsley. And today on the show, well, it's the uber-talented Blackie Shepard. That it is. And you did, this is a, this is a one you did solo too, right? Yeah, I do a lot of them solo, Johnny. Yeah, you're, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of slacking these days. What am I, That's why am right. I even here? Yeah, I don't know. You don't do anything. I mean- all right. Meanwhile, you got, you got, as Johnny quits, the whole site breaks and no <laughs> new episodes come out. Because <laughs> while Kendrick is the face and the voice, I am the the butt in the back. Wait, the backbone. There you go. Well, the backbone's kind of. But I gotta call you butt a butt. Bone. <laughs> Might call you an asshole, but not a butt. <laughs> fair. That's fair. That's fair. So how was Blocky man? How was how was talking? He's with awesome. Him? He's super nice. Um, yeah. He's really passionate about what he's doing. I highly recommend. After you're done listening to this interview, or even while you're listening, if you're sitting at home, look up his stuff on Pumpkinhead. Ah, yeah. His Pumpkinhead is gorgeous. He's a huge, huge Bernie Wrightson fan. Uh, He took a lot of his influences from Bernie, which I think more and more people should. I know there's a lot out there, but I kind of feel like everybody should. (laughs) Just learn his texturing and like learn his his level of like like I don't think way. to to shape things, yeah, it's awesome, amazing. His I don't think anybody did awesome. lighting better than than Bernie. Oh, his lighting is amazing. Yeah, his shading was. Uh, I don't know. He had like this weird way of making things comic in look, but a realism to it. Oh, his his you know? drawings, his his ink drawings have depth and have have three Ds into them. Like, yeah, they look like they're you could reach into the page. Yeah, it's it's incredible. So. And Blackie took a lot of. Yeah, it starts influence from him, and really, just go look up his work. It, it's amazing. Yeah, it really is. I, I edited this one, and you guys had a lot of fun. He talks a lot about he talks a lot about a lot of cool stuff, and yeah, it, it's it's a lot of fun. There you go. All right, well, let's sit back and listen to Blackie in his own words. Welcome back to the show today. It's exciting because we have someone special for you guys, you know, and if you're a fan of Dynamite Comics, then you probably have seen his work many times. Uh, He seems to be tied at the hip with Colin Bunn right now with all the stuff going on with Reanimator and Vampirella versus Reanimator and Pumpkinhead. Blackie Shepard, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, man, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So how's life going? You and I live in and around Seattle. So how's it? Oh, treated really? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, the thing is being a comic book artist, you tend to be, you know, we work alone. You know yeah. what I mean? I've worked from home for several years now. And, and so, you know, as weird as it sounds, this the whole epidemic has really not been a huge you know, issue in my life. Like the only, the biggest problem that it has, you know, issued to me is it's just more of a pain in the butt to go grocery shopping. Right. 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 Everything else is basically the same. I mean, I don't get to go out for, you know, Chinese buffet as often as I'd like, but you know, is that really a bad thing? (laughs) It is. I am, I am a certified buffet mutant man oh. i love buffet i would eat roofing shingles if it's pre- presented in buffet format <laughs> i, I like, love buffets man i like the i go to snoqualmie casino and they do oh, the yeah. 
crab legs. Oh, yeah, yeah, I love that. I love. I'm a big fan of a uh, Mongolian grill. Oh yeah. Uh, so if I can find a good Mongolian grill, I go as often as I can. I even I, like bad buffets. I'm just a, I like buffets, man. You find yourself in Silverdale. There's a really bad one, right on. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. Oh, uh, you know what I love to get is dim sum. You ever get dim sum? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm a big yeah, fan of dim sum. I I'm pretty much an Asian food junkie, man. I I like it all, man. It's it, you know I'm not a huge fan of very fishy tasting fish, mm-hmm. but everything else I'm into, you know, like I'll eat chicken feet like it's going out of style, buddy. Yeah, that's awesome. So yeah. you and Colin have a new graphic novel that hopefully will be out. Is it, are we tarting this year or early next year? Well, okay. So the, the plan is in about, I want to say three weeks or to a month. I'm not exactly sure. They yeah. want to launch an Indiegogo campaign. Nice. Uh, to release it right so it's a graphic novel that takes place immediate okay so reanimator the original hp lovecraft stories were published as six i think six serialized stories that appeared in magazines back in the 30s right um and at the end of the sixth story herbert west is torn apart and murdered by his undead creations right so our story takes place about a year after that story ends and with the mysterious reappearance of our you know erstwhile protagonist slash antagonist herbert west right so it's kind of a direct sequel to those original serials oh that's cool that's yeah cool. so so the idea is they want to do a an indiegogo campaign to to get this the first volume out right so it spoiler alert it kind of ends on a, a little bit of a cliffhanger and the hope is that the the campaign will be successful enough to to justify you know production of the of the second volume which is the the wrap up of the tale yeah yeah well does the work that you guys did with reanimator versus vamprella have any significance in the storyline or is it a completely no, no, they're wholly separate. The thing is, so the Vampirella versus Reanimator takes place in Vampirella's timeline, right? So it's a contemporary story to modern time, right? Whereas, and so the idea is, depending on how you look at Herbert West, you know, the question being, you know, how has he, how has he come back from the dead, and right. so. It, the story that takes place in Vampirella versus Reanimator, it's potentially far enough in that version of the character's future. If you choose to read it as the that version of H, or I'm sorry, Herbert West being yeah. the same version that appears in our Reanimator graphic novel, which takes place in the 30s. Right. Oh, interesting. Uh, just to be super convoluted about it. Right. Right. Well, how else can you be? <laughs> right. And, and why wouldn't we be convoluted? You know, right? It's more fun that way. You can do more. If you're convoluted, I mean, this is in all seriousness. If you are convoluted, you can do more with it. You can yeah, have sure. more fun. You know, you can kind of play around. How it? So you guys are taking. This is really interesting because I didn't realize you were taking it directly. Lifting every time I see anything anybody do Reanimator, I still I know it's H.P. Lovecraft. I read the H.P. Lovecraft stories years ago you know like right. years ago but i i still think of the movie that came out in the mid 80s you know that right, right funny movie that you know which is more like a horror comedy really and yeah it very much is yeah yeah and so when i you guys are actually taking it from a very different standpoint of continuing the works of hp lovecraft when you think about right. it in the context of that is there any heavy handedness to it where you're like, man, I really oh. got to knock this out of the park because. Yeah, it's very heavy handed uh, in so far as it's not comedy. You know what I mean? It's right. a straight horror story. And that's what's beautiful about working with Cullen is that, you know, when we did Vampirilla versus Reanimator, you know, we blended some comedy into it. You know, it, it had a, a certain kind of 
cheesiness to it, you know, an intentional cheesiness. And, you know, it had kind of Vampirella's sense of humor. And, you know, it. whereas it was pretty gruesome, if you get a chance to read it, you should definitely give it a look. It's pretty gruesome and it goes to some pretty dark places. But in tone, it's more of a kind of a horror comedy. Whereas this project, the Reanimator project, is very much, you know, straight horror, you know, and it's written to a large degree. Colin has done a very good job in extending the HP Lovecraft kind of voice yeah. into, into this story. Now, one thing that's important to note is that the reanimator that appears in the movies that, and that series of characters and that kind of whole thing yeah. is specific to the movies. They, and because reanimator H Herbert West reanimator, all those stories as is true with all of HP Lovecraft stuff is public domain. You know, anybody that wants to write or do a story about an HP Lovecraft character is free to do so. So odd just because he's so prevalent. Right, right. But the thing is, you know, when Stu, uh, I can't remember his last name, but the guy who produced and, and directed the reanimator films, Stuart Gordon, when he, when he did those movies, he did his own version of them, right? And he added characters that were not in the books or in the stories and kind of made his own thing. So we very specifically shy away from any kind of resemblance to those characters or that version of the Herbert West character. Two reasons. One, we don't want to step on any copyright toes, but mainly because, you know, that's a very different and a very defined version of the character. Yeah. That, you know, that isn't necessarily suited to the stories that we're telling. When you work on stuff with dynamite, like, like Vampirella, is there guidelines that you set? Do you look at like Frank Frazetta's original creation and look at what he did and go, okay, I like this, but I want to change this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So Frank Frazetta is a huge impact influence on me just in terms of artistic direction and, you know, just uh, everything. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, the greatest artist, American artist ever. Yeah. Top shelf. You know, my, my primary influence with respect to the way Vampirella looks yeah. though, comes from a couple of different sources. The main one is, bear with me just a second, because I always have a hard time remembering the gentleman's name, but no he is the artist that really kind of, he gave me the, it's so Jose Gonzalez. Gonzalez. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he is, he to me is, the definitive Vampirella artist. Okay. When I draw or when I think about Vampirella in my head, I see Jose Gonzalez art. The other artist that really influences me with respect to the look of Vampirella is Dave Stevens, the guy who is prominently known for like the Rocketeer. Yeah. All right. His version of Vampirella is also prominent in my mind when I draw Vampirella. And then the, the final kind of piece of that puzzle is uh it's actually a cosplayer her name is Joni Brosis and so when i think of a model that i use for vampirella i'm pretty much always i've got joni brosis in mind when i draw vampirella that's why my vampirella is not nearly as buxom as the more traditionally drawn vampirella because i draw her to have a live kind of a little bit more swimmer's body style frame Right. Much like, much like Joni has. Right, that's cool. That's really cool. I when I think of Frazetta, when I think of his Vampirella because I have the uh, the first like six issues from Warren. Yeah, I've got a I've got a a whole bunch of the original run of the yeah. Uh, magazine. Yeah, I just have the magazine sized ones, and they're good. I just think of the, his cover work is what I think of. Yeah, yeah, because I think that's largely what he did. Yeah, and he but that first one, you know, it was yeah. it's striking. You're like, oh, that's incredible. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. His, well, I mean, and his work is definitive. For me, the definitive, like if I had to choose one image of Vampirella that it's the only image of Vampirella that any that I or any other person would ever see for the rest of time, yeah. it would be that very famous door poster that, that Jose Gonzalez painted 
of she's yeah. standing and she's kind of got her arm out and there's the bat on the end of her fingers. Yep. Yep. That, exactly. that to me is the, that is the image of Vampirella that kind of sticks in my mind. And that is kind of my, my North star, you know, as it is, you know, when I do my versions of Vampirella. Yeah. yeah that's awesome though, man. Yeah. Now I asked dynamite okay. about that before I drew her. So the first time I drew her was in fairy tales, which was the anthology. And they very much wanted a more traditional, you know, buxom Vampirella, which is how I drew her. Uh, But then when I went to do Vampirella versus Reanimator, I cleared it with my editor. I said, hey, you know, here's the version of Vampirella I want to draw. And I think I even might have submitted just a quick drawing, you know, of the proportions that I wanted to draw her in and that kind of thing. And, And they were real cool about it. They, you know, they let me do what I wanted to do. That's good. That's good. When you go through your, when you get stuff from Dynamite and, you know, and they're like, hey, we want to do this. We really want to do, re- well, you pitched Reanimator to Dynamite, right? I pitched Reanimator versus, or I, I'm sorry, I pitched Vampirella versus Reanimator to Dynamite. Oh, okay. Okay. So you, <laughs> they, pitched, they said, can you get Colin Bunn? You're like, possibly. And then he gets yeah, off. Yeah. Yeah, so the way it worked out was I was at, uh, you know, Crypticon that happens here oh, yeah. in Seattle. Okay, yep. so I was at Crypticon, I want to say two years ago, and that was the year that, oh man, every time I forget her name, and she's <laughs> great. She's the actress from Reanimator, the blonde actress, Donna, man, what an idiot I am. Anyways, I can the... tell you here in a second. <laughs> I'm sorry? I said I can tell you here in a second. Yeah, Donna something, I want to say. Anyhow, you'll figure it out, but I'll continue telling the story. So she was at the convention, as was the actor who played Herbert West in the movies. And I was speaking with her, but, you know, she was just kind of making the rounds and she stopped by my table and we started talking. And Barbara Crampton? Barbara Crampton, that's who it is. Yeah, yeah. And it destroys me every time I forget her name because (laughs) I... Stone in love with Barbara Crampton. Yeah, I'm the worst with names sometimes, and I feel horrible when I do that because I talk to so many people that all right, of a sudden, sure. like, oh, you know, unless you have like a really unique name, like your name's gonna be very easy to remember. You don't meet a lot of blackies, right. you know. That's the hope. That's, yeah, that's like me. My name is Kenrick. You don't meet a lot of right. right. So anyhow, so she was really cool. We're talking, just kind of you know shooting the breeze. And as she left, I just got it into my head. I was like, wait a minute, you know, Dynamite has done a bunch of, you know, reanimator, you know, stories and series, and they have the Vampirella license. And I just thought it just seemed like I thought immediately they had to already have done a Vampirella versus reanimator. And I just wasn't aware of it, which would be weird. I'm Vampirella is my first love as far as like, comics and that kind of thing I, oh, I, yeah my the first thing i ever did wrong in quotes was uh when i was i think eight i stole a copy of the vampirella magazine from like the local gas station or whatever <laughs> you know and like jammed it down my pants and went home and you know was just blown away by it right yeah and i've loved the character ever since you know and so you know I, I thought there's no way that, that would have gotten past me. So I, you know, I immediately went home that night and started looking to see if they had done one. And to my surprise, they hadn't. Yeah. And within five minutes, I had come up with the whole kind of basic plot of the story. Right. And so the I, um, I had the idea in my head and I kind of let it percolate because I knew that I was going to be going to San Diego that year. And I knew that, you know, a couple of the guys from Dynamite were going to be there. And so particularly my editor on Voltron. And oh. so I, I, went to, I went to San Diego that year and went to a, a Vampirella panel that Joe, my editor on Voltron, and, and Nick, the owner of Dynamite, were at. And just kind of while we were standing there waiting for the panel to start, I pitched them on the story. Yeah. And liked it and they said yeah that sounds great you know what do you think about getting Colin on board I said let me shoot him a text you know so I texted him right quick and he very quickly said yeah that sounds fantastic so you know within a week of San Diego they had uh, they'd given it the green light and we got to work that's all that's incredible did you get to work 
with Cullen side by side on the story arc itself in coming up yeah, with so, the plot points so and everything? Yeah. So what I did is Colin and I, you know, I sent him the basic idea, you know, I had the, the plot, right. Yeah. Which is, you know, the idea was that, you know, Herbert West is trying to perfect his formula and he finds out that there's, you know, some method that exists in one place in the world, which is down in South America in some ancient temple. Right. And so he goes and either wittingly or unwittingly, brings you know resurrects the ancient aztec god of the dead and then vampirella has to battle that god of the dead nice. uh, and so you know that was the kind of the broad outline and then you know colin and i talked about it a little bit brainstormed a little bit about it and then colin took that broad outline and the little bit that we talked about on the phone and then expanded it into the story right and, and, and put all the characters in place he's an amazing writer so i mean how lucky yeah. are you able to have hey, hey i have this idea and then colin bunn actually writes it out for you it's like dude it was that's the thing you know the best collaborations are the ones where they make you look better yeah. you know what i mean yeah. and that's absolutely what happened like my idea you know not to diminish myself my idea was a strong idea that's but great then when colin got his hands on it yeah you know he just turned it into an amazing story but you then know? your art you, dude you have some great you're, you got some great stuff. And I <laughs> highly suggest everybody to go over to CQShep.com and check out all the Blackie stuff. He's got a lot of stuff for sale and commission and pinups. And yeah, you got some crazy stuff here. And one of the Thank things you. I love is you're doing things like with G.I. Joe on IDW that looked amazing. And your Voltron mm-hmm. stuff looked amazing. What was it like working on Voltron? That was a trip, man, you know, because I'm the right age. You know, for me, Voltron was, you know, every morning at 730, you know. Yep. Get, yeah, I was 10 in 84, so, yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> grab your bowl of Captain Crunch and watch Voltron and then, you know, haul ass to the bus stop, you know. Yeah. And then I was lucky insofar as where I lived, the market that I lived in, in the mornings at 730, they showed the Lion Force Voltron. And then when I got home at 330... They showed an episode of the Vehicle Force Voltron, so See, I mine, got like both stories at the same time. Mine was uh, different, so mine was so I'm forty. I'll be forty six this summer, right? And mine was in <laughs> in the morning. It was seven in the a.m. in the morning. Channel Eleven KSTW would show Star Blazers. Then yeah. at four o'clock, I think it was four o'clock they would do Voltron and then, or no, they would do three 30. They would do Voltron. And then it was transformers. And then four 30 was GI Joe. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's kind of, so the transformers GI Joe were both in the afternoon for me. Star blazers. They, they stopped showing star blazers a few, like two years before Voltron came on. They stopped it in like yeah. 82, which was a bummer for me because star blazers was like the first, my first experience with that was my know, first animation yeah like i can still sing the song the whole deal oh dude i used to get kicked to the back of the bus because i'd sit the first empty seat and i'd be belting out that song from school and the bus driver would be like kenrick to the back (laughs) yeah Yeah. but yeah it was great so you know when when my editor at the time at dynamite when she emailed me you know it was you know she said hey it was weird the way she worded it she almost it almost seemed like she thought i was going to turn it down which is crazy because yeah. at the time i'd only done the seven pages i would have taken literally any gig they threw at me <laughs> but she said you know hey you know i don't know if you'd be interested but i've got this giant robot thing it's this voltron thing and i you know i just was over the moon right and so uh she, she had me do five pages like a test pages kind of thing uh, that she submitted to the the license holder and uh, they liked it well enough to to give me the gig and so you know it was really surreal you know drawing this character that i had been a fan of since i was you know 10 years old yeah yeah uh, and you know the fact that especially you know once we started doing it you know, I'm a thinker when I draw, like I, I want to know why things look the way they do. And, you know, one of the things that always bothered me about Voltron was 
he makes facial expressions, you know, but in the cartoon, he is supposed to be just five robot lions that are piloted by five human <laughs> beings. You know what I mean? They so thought about the facial expression. Right. That's hilarious. So there's, there's no reason why he would make facial expressions, you know? Right. right. Um, now, I went back and, and researched and got the original Go Lion, the Japanese version of Voltron, and it explains it in that, which is to say that in the Japanese version, Voltron is a pre-existing entity that's like as old as the universe, and then he upsets the princess of the universe, and so she shatters him into five pieces, and then later when the, the lions are built and he comes back together, his, his kind of being is in those robots, so that yeah, makes sense that you would make, that, that you know, facial. Yeah. but that's not the way it is in the American version of the character and, no. and the American version of the character is what we were working on. So, you know, and this is one of the first things that indicated to me that Colin and I could be really good collaborators is, you know, cause I was really starstruck. I was a big fan of sixth gun and, you know, I'd read uh, a bunch of stuff that he had done. And so I was like, wow, you know, they're putting me with, you know, this guy. That's crazy, you know. And so I very tentatively reached out to him and explained to him. I'm like, hey, man, I don't really buy this whole. I don't want to draw Voltron's face just static all the time because that's boring. But right. there's no good reason why he would make faces. And I said, <laughs> so So I was wondering if I could. I this. I'm sorry. I'm just laughing because I'm, I'm loving that you have dialed into the facial like this because I can't see very many people but an artist that would go, why is he doing this? And I need to have I, I need to have inspiration on why this is happening. Yeah, well, you know, being an artist is a little bit like being an actor. You know what I mean? Especially yeah. like I put a lot of thought into the facial expressions of my characters because I want to be I want people to be able to recognize what the character is thinking and feeling without having to read any dialogue. I want it to jump off the page at them, you know, what that character's emotional state is. And so, you know, I, in my email to Colin, I said, Hey man, so I've thought about this and I was wondering what you think. And I said, how about this? The idea is that Voltron is not the robots. Voltron is the operating system that powers the robots. And what the operating system does is it reads the mental patterns of the pilots, and then when the Voltron is formed as the singular robot, those mental patterns are combined into a single personality that becomes Voltron. That way, uh, it yeah. gives reason to the idea of why our version of the character would be making facial expressions. Yeah, and, yeah. and he, he liked it. You know, in fact, he kind of he kind of wrote it into the story. You know what I mean? Which was really cool, you know, and a couple of things, you know, I suggested a couple of different, you know, little grace notes here and there that he very graciously worked into the story, which was nice. And I was like, wow, that's so cool that he would do that, you know, and not have a an ego about it or not, you know, not bat me down and be like, hey, dude, how about you let the seasoned comic book writer handle the story? You know, we had, we had Colin Bunn on. He's great. He was great. Yeah. Colin's very, Colin's very elf, just man. right. Yeah, top drawer, as they say. Yeah. Totally. Uh, Pumpkinhead. Man, your Pumpkinhead stuff looks amazing. Thank, Is you. This, Thank you. Yeah. Were you a big fan of the movies? Because I remember when that movie came out, it was I'm like, a big fan of the first video. movie. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I tried to watch the other movies, the direct-to-video sequels, and I just no. couldn't get into them. Like, One of them was... No. Yeah, one of them is okay, but by and large, they're terrible. Yeah, um, the first one is so good. It's yeah, I, to me, it's like the first one. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, it's it's. I think we got a little bit of a delay, so it might seem like we're talking over each other, but it's not yeah. on purpose. No, the first one, man, is so good. Like I, the first time I watched it, I think that came out in what eighty six, eighty five. No, it came eighty nine. 80, oh, is it 89? Okay. Yeah, I think uh, it was right before my... I, I think I remember the year in high school that it came out. Yeah, I, I just remember watching it, and, and it scared the crap out of me the first time I saw it. Yeah, yeah, it was a super good movie. It was really atmospheric, and the idea of Pumpkinhead is very creepy. It's the effect. The monster is extremely well executed in the movie, yep. which yep. stands to reason. Stan Winston directed it. 
And Stan Winston, of course, is, you know, the pre or was the preeminent monster maker in movies for 30, 40 years. You know what I mean? If there was a good monster in a movie, he made it, you know, <laughs> I love uh, it. And uh, the only criticism I have of the first movie is that because Stan Winston directed it and because he's an amazing monster maker, he's not a director. That's I think that's the only movie he directed. And so, you know, there are parts of it where I think, okay, a, a more accomplished director would have reshot this scene or done another take or maybe framed things a little bit differently. But those are so minor nitpicks when overall the movie is extraordinarily effective. It's very atmospheric. It's very well acted. Everybody in the movie does a great job, you know. Well. You got Lance Henriksen. It's hard to it's it's hard to yeah, mess up. Yeah, that. Yeah. Lance Henriksen's the dude. <laughs> he is the dude, man. He's great. Yeah, it's kind of funny. You know, there's a rumor that they're thinking of remaking that original movie. Well, okay. So the as far as I understand, the whole reason that we did that Pumpkinhead comic is because I think Paramount is the company that owns it. Paramount went to dynamite and said, Hey, we've got a reboot in the works. So we want to get the pumpkin head brand kind of back out there. So, you know, let's do a comic. And I've read in several places that the same group that has that like Blumhouse yeah, uh, is the Great group part. that's, yeah, that they're the ones that are doing the reboot. And I've read that they've been casting and that they've been, you know, doing filming and the whole night. I have no idea what the state of the film is, but at least as of a couple of years ago, it seemed like it was very much in progress. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to see it. Mostly I would just love would to see for a, an update of the, of the special effects, you know? Yeah. But the only thing I worry about is like, I, okay. I love CGI. I love what yeah, they I, did like, on Jurassic park and all that yeah. stuff, but there's a big part of my heart that loves the puppetry and the tactile look of it that it's within the, the scene. You know what I mean? Cause you can still yeah, tell well, out in the scene and it kind of, sometimes it can take you out. I've found the best use of CGI is not as a replacement for special effects, but rather as an enhancement to special yeah, effects. Yeah. 100%. You know? yeah. yeah. So, you know, like in pumpkin head, they could do the monster practically for, 85% of the film and then that other 15% just a little bit of CGI to make it more fluid or you know delete you know the you know erase wires or you know just yeah. the stuff to really sell the the practical effect you know yeah make that movement a little bit more fluid that makes it feel like he's really doing what he's doing and right like because yeah. that's one of the things that was important to me when we did the pumpkin head comic is you know, I really wanted my pumpkin head to move like a predator, you know what I mean? To move yeah, like yeah. Kind of low to the ground and, and, you know, to use, he's got those goat legs, you know, the hooked legs and an animal with those kind of legs does not walk completely upright. You know right. what I mean? It uses them as the fulcrum of their balance. Right. And so to make that move believably, you actually want the center of balance to be lower than it shows it in the movie, right? But they had to do it the way they did it because they had a man on a wire inside a giant puppet suit, you know? Right, right. But in the comic, I don't have that limitation. So I really wanted my Predator to be, you know, lower and more powerful looking and more kind of like it had, you know, movement in it, you know? And so I'd spent a lot of time it was really anxiety inducing for me because at first I thought, man, like with Voltron, every single drawing of that guy, I was going back and forth and looking at reference and just constantly really slowed me down. And so I was like, man, with Pumpkinhead, I'm going to have to do the same thing. You know, I'm going to have to constantly be looking at reference, the whole deal. Right. Uh, not about three drawings in on the guy. And I realized that I had been drawing monsters and specifically monsters that resembled Pumpkinhead so long in my life. That, <laughs> like once I drew them once, I'm like, oh, okay, I got it. You know, <laughs> so I never have to look at uh, that reference farm, you know. Oh, that's awesome. Would you like to go back and do more Pumpkinhead or? 
you know, I would wrestle a grown man to do more pumpkin head. In fact, <laughs> they, when awesome. they put out, when they put out the trade paperback of the series, they, yeah. re, they gave it a new subtitle, which, so the original series was called pumpkin head, the, oh, the spirit of vengeance or something. Hold on. Let me grab it. Just give me a second. Oh, you're just going to grab it right there. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, Pumpkinhead Sins Revisited. Okay, so yeah. uh, they gave it the, the the subtitle Sins Revisited, but when they put it out in trade paperback form, it's called Sins Revisited Volume 1. So, you know, that tells me that maybe they're considering doing a second volume. Yeah. Uh, and if they do a second volume, I'm going to be real upset if they don't have me and Colin do it. You know, yeah. I mean, like, I feel like we did a good job on the character. You know, like, Colin's story is amazing. Yeah. Nice. Uh, I put a lot of hard work into the character, into developing the way he looks and developing all the other demons and the, the human oh. characters. Like, I fell in love with the characters from that story. Yeah. No, your, really... your work on that is phenomenal. Nothing. Thank you. Phenomenal. Thank you. I mean, the, what you have on your website is all black and white. Right. And I highly recommend people to go. Again, to cqshep.com, go to comics, click on Pumpkinhead, and see the work that Blackie did on this thing. It'll blow your mind. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, we, we, you know, in fact, there's an email that I sent to Colin. So one of the main characters is, well, two of them, it's a brother and sister, right? They're these Appalachian kind of drug dealers, right? Yeah. And, and they are kind of the antagonists of the story, you know, they're, and, you know, the one character, the brother, you know, I based him on, I've got a lot of family from that region, right? Yeah. On my dad's side. And so I kind of based him on an, an amalgam of a couple of my uncles. And then I, you know, did the hair the way, you know, I thought it was best, but he's built and looks like an amalgam of a couple of my uncles. And I really fell in love with those two characters, the brother and yeah. the sister. So, you know, spoiler alert, you know, everybody dies. That's, you know, welcome to Pumpkinhead. <laughs> um, and so uh, I sent Colin an email and I was like, hey, man, when you kill this character, can you make it a good one? Can you, you know, don't just have him like killed quickly and or off screen or anything. Can you really, you know, have him put up a fight or whatever? And he did the character right. Oh, that's awesome. No, I, I yeah. love your work, dude. This is. Thank you, man. I, I can't wait to see what comes out with the reanimator graphic novel. I mean. Seriously, I hope everybody gets out there and checks it out. Tell your local comic book shop that you're interested on and let so that way they can let Dynamite know and they can let. Well, so the way that'll work, actually, I'm glad you brought that up because so first my I'm convinced that my work on the reanimator graphic novel is the best work I've ever done. Oh, awesome! Uh, I really poured my heart into it. You know yeah. what I mean? It was very important to me to make it feel super visceral and to have a lot of detail in the work so that people can linger on the art a little bit. It, you know, I really tried to make the art compelling, you know? Um, yeah. And then I, I was very specific with Dynamite in asking for Ellie Wright uh, to do the colors because I just so admire her work, you know? And when I saw her returns coming in, you know, they'd send me the colored pages. It was just, it was better than I could have dreamed. You know, she just absolutely got it, you know? And then Taylor, the letterer is that guy, you know, everything he letters his, the cool thing about Taylor is when he letters a story, his yeah. letters do two things at once. One, they don't draw attention to themselves, which is kind of what you want with letters. Right. But more importantly, they help tell the story. You know what I mean? His placement yep. and the way he spaces things in the balloons gives you a sense of the rhythm of the dialogue right. you know, that, that many letterers don't necessarily think about when they do their lettering. You know, I, I um, think letterers are unsung hero of the comic book industry. I, they need oh, 100%. To more. They, they should be celebrated more often than they are, because uh, if you're you know, you've done plenty of comic books now and, you know, when you look at a book, especially independent books that don't have an established letterer and you see it can make or break a book so oh, quick. You so can't even, and, you know what I mean? The one problem like, oh. is, is bad lettering. You Sometimes you don't even know what it is you don't like about the book. You just yep. know you don't like looking at it. 
Yeah, and, yep. and very often it's the lettering because yep. a lot of times, you know, in, in order to save money, they'll just have the artist do the lettering. And you know, I know from my point of view, I'm I can't letter. You know, like I my best skill when it comes to lettering is just making sure that I've left enough room for the letterer to make decisions. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's all I can do. And and a big part of that was when I first started working with Taylor, he was nice enough. I reached out to him. I'm like, hey man. I really want to make sure that I'm giving you the room that you need to make decisions. So, yeah. you know, please, you know, tell me, you know, where you think I could improve. And I'd send him pages that I was still kind of in process on. And and he kind of helped train me, you know, where to leave space for the letterer. You know what I mean? Oh, because, again, you're absolutely right. It's, you know, a bad letterer can ruin a, a, a page and an artist that doesn't let the letterer have enough space forces the letterer sometimes to be a bad letter. Yeah. Do you ever, I just thought of this. Do you ever like sit and work on a panel or maybe a full page and you're like, this is so good. I don't want any letters on this. You know what I mean? I don't want anything fucking up what I just created, which you're like, ah, and then you know what? I don't. And the only reason for that is I think like a lot of artists, I'm very hard on my own art. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to lie and say that, you know, I think my art is terrible because that's not true. I think I'm a pretty good artist. I like my own yeah. art, you know, but I'm not confident enough in my own, my own ability to tell a story completely without the input of a letterer and a colorist. Like I very much am aware of what the limitations of line art are. You know what I mean? And so when I look at a page, I don't so much look at it like a finished thing. I look at it like the foundation for the finished thing. Man. You know? So I'm really always very keen to see what the colorist and the letterer do. When you go to your website and you click on comics and then go to pump and then you click on pumpkin head, you have the characters kind of, you know, each one, but the first, you have the cop, right. And then you have, yeah. you know, you, and then you have pumpkin head. It's the last one. The free of the first row, the first one on the second row. Okay. And you have the back of the cop with the gun pumpkin head coming out of the doorway. Man, that just, Oh yeah. It makes me think so of Wrightson. And I'm not yeah, even so kidding, dude. It, that is like a Bernie Wright right there. And it's just like, and well, I, I can't give you a higher compliment than that. <laughs> it's funny. First, thank you very much. It's because Bernie Wrightson is legit the reason I draw comics. I call him oh. the captain. I, I have not mourned the deaths of many people that are celebrities or people that I don't know because, you know, I mean, there are people I don't know. I'm, you yeah. know, I'll be, it's bummer that I won't see any more work from them or whatever, but, you know, I don't feel any emotional attachment. Same way. Uh, but Bernie Wrightson, you know, he was, I remember the drawing. I remember where I was when I saw the drawing. I remember everything about the moment, the quality of the light, everything about the moment when I saw the first image by Bernie Wrightson. And I knew as soon as I saw it, that was what I wanted to do for the rest of my life was draw things like that. And it was, it was so Stephen King wrote a calendar actually called cycle of the werewolf. Yep. Yep. And, and, and there's, so I had became silver bolt. Yeah. I stole from, I now I have said this twice. I realized that as a kid, I was a little bit of a thief man. Um, in my defense, I was a poor kid, uh, but uh, from the library, I stole, they, they did a novelization of cycle of the werewolf with the script for silver bullet in the back. Yeah, it's great. And and so I remember flipping through and I don't remember. Oh, it was, I, it's so weird. The month that this illustration was done for was August. And it's an image of the werewolf reaching into the Jeep of, of, of the postman. And he's like yeah, ripping I, the postman's face off. I know and, exactly the one you're talking about. Yeah, I saw yeah. that and it changed my whole life. It changed yeah. everything about the way I perceived what I did as a young artist. Bernie Wrightson right? did the same thing to me. I mean, I'm not an artist. I can't even draw stick figures. You know, if you want a bad stick figure, come sure. over here. But thinking of art and thinking of someone like 
being able to create that type of imagery with their hands and a and a pencil really, you know, was one one was the Frankenstein trading card set. Yeah. Oh, so good. Oh, he, it was ridiculous. And then seeing all of the different images, like the werewolves, the sea. The, there's one where is a, I think he's, it's a guy leaning up against a fence post, and he's got an axe, and he's got heads. Oh yeah. On the fence. I was like, yeah. I. You know, it wasn't even about the imagery of being horror. It was just how good they are and how well they're drawn. And the, I don't know, just the level of detail was so beyond anything I'd ever seen in my life that I was just like, I was captivated. And then from that scene on, from that point on, Bernie Wrightson always became the level that I thought of somebody. You know what I mean? When it came to. Right. Yeah. You know, the the way I've always looked at it with respect to Bernie's art is he is the goal that I'm trying to achieve. Now I'll yeah. never achieve that goal, right? I'll never be as good as Bernie Wrightson is, but I figure as long as I'm shooting that high, yeah, you know, I'm always elevating my game. You know right. what I mean? Right. Uh, well, so that's the best Blackie Shepherd that there can be, you know, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. In fact, you know, so when I first started trying to get into comics, I, I was showing my art to, you know, editors and the whole deal. Yeah. And, I remember specifically meeting an editor for a, a comic company that shall remain nameless. And he's a you know very famous dude. He's an artist as well. And he was looking at it and he was telling me how to change my art so that it would look more like Jim Lee. Right. And oh, God. I, I remember, you know, I, I tried to be as graceful as I could. But I said, look, I, I appreciate what you're saying, but I don't want to be the next Jim Lee. I want to be the first Blackie Shepherd, you know, and that stuck with me. You know, that should be my goal is to find my inherent voice, not try to fit into the way other people draw, you know, because if yeah, you try yeah. to do what other people are doing, you're just lost. That's like with Bernie Wrightson. I'm not trying to do Bernie Wrightson. I'm no. just trying to hold myself to the standard that I that when I look at Bernie Wrightson's art, it moves me so deeply that yeah. I think, hey, I've got to draw stuff that when people look at my art, it hopefully moves them to some similar degree. You know, with that image that you're referring to specifically, the the pumpkin head coming through the door. Yeah, uh, that actually. So when Cullen suggested me to our editor at Dynamite, that was the first project that I'd worked on with that editor. Yeah. Uh, and all he had seen of my work was Voltron, right? So he sent me an email and he said, look, I, I know you can draw, but I need to know that you can draw Pumpkinhead, you know? Yeah. So so would you just put, work up a single image, just, you know, draw Pumpkinhead for me and let me know, let me see kind of how you would handle the book, you know? And so I drew that, you know, and sent it to him. And, you know, the email that he sent me in return was very nice. It was very complimentary and, you know... Yeah. And, you know, and he said, you know, that it gave him confidence that I'd be able to handle the book. Well, dude, you sent him that one. I mean, to me, I'd be like, well, what else do you want to draw? Because I'll just like do whatever one you want to do. <laughs> I know. I, and I keep sending him emails that tells him that he should just let me draw whatever I want. And, you know. So is is horror your love? Is that what you like to draw the most? Yeah, that's. You know, if I could write the book, I will have an entire career, a long career, where I draw almost pre- specifically and almost predominantly horror. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just because that's where my love, that's my favorite kind of movie. That's, you know, oh the type God. of stories that I like to read and write. You know, it's just, it's where my head and my heart lie. But very close second to that is science fiction and giant robots, you know? And yeah. then somewhere in that mix is pinup. You know what I mean? So I've got a fairly broad, you know, range of interests. You know what I mean? I'll tell you, the only thing that I'm specifically not super interested in drawing is standard superhero comics. Yeah, that's good, though. I mean, you're not, you know, you're not 12. <laughs> yeah, well, that, and I mean, I just, I don't think that my style necessarily would lend itself to standard yeah. superheroes. If the, about the only superheroes that I would really want to draw are like, yeah. 
really want to draw Moon Knight. I think I could do a good job of Moon Knight. Oh, interesting, yeah. Uh, especially if they made, went back to his kind of horror roots and did, you know, like a, a werewolf by night crossover kind of thing. And <laughs> Yeah, we had Marv Wolfman on and we went over. Oh, man, I love Marv Wolfman. Oh. Uh, I, well, you know what? When it <laughs> when the episode drops, because we haven't released it yet. When the episode oh, drops, wow. uh, yeah, I'll, I'll send you the link. Gets a little off. <laughs> because yeah. <laughs> he's every bit of his 79 year old self or his 72 year old self, you know? Right. But he talked about go, working on Dracula and stuff. It, it was really interesting. Dracula, that tomb of Dracula run that he did though is so good, you know? Oh, it's top shelf. And uh, that's, that is another heavy influence on me, you know, yeah. as far as, you know, when I was a kid reading those really getting into the idea of horror comics. Have you ever read Kelly Jones's dead man? I've read everything by Kelly Jones. Kelly Jones is so if I were to say I have a Mount Rushmore of artists. Yeah. You know, separating Mount Rushmore from the, you know, problematic history that it has, you know, but just using it as the as an idiom for, you know, the artists that kind of are iconic to me. Yeah. You know, my my group of artists is Bernie Wrightson, Michael Golden, Bill Sienkiewicz, and Art Adams and Kelly Jones. Those five artists basically define everything that I love about comic book art. I dude, the new mutants covers that bill did. I will always cherish those. Yeah. Oh, they're fantastic. Oh my God. I it wasn't even, I didn't even read that series at the time, but I bought them all because I loved his art just for those covers. <laughs> yeah. yeah he just, I've got a I've got an enormous collection of Dazzler comics, and I couldn't be less interested in Dazzler, especially at the time. Right. But except for his covers were so fantastic. Yeah, oh. we had uh, Kelly on just a few weeks ago. We just dropped those oh, up really? three hours, oh. of just him and I shooting the shit. He's great, man. He so he did the first cover for Pumpkinhead issue num issue one, oh, and. That's yeah, and he saw some of my interior pages and actually contacted my editor at Dynamite and suggested that they allow me to do the remaining covers, which was super nice of him. He and I have... Yeah, That's awesome. It's super awesome. And the thing is, you know, I, I hesitate to refer to him as a friend because we only know each other, you know, by virtue of uh, correspondence via email and the odd, you know, convention appearance that, that yeah. I made. Yeah, we, we chat on Facebook Messenger, but that's, you know. Exactly. Yeah. But he has been, or and especially was while I was trying to get into comics, very supportive of, of awesome. helping me figure out how to get into comics. Yeah, he's such a nice guy, man. He's, he's like, the nice. Yeah, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Completely honest and just, I don't know. I really like that guy. Yeah. Well, and we both bonded over our singular love of Bernie Wrightson as well. Yeah, you know, yeah huge Bernie Wrightson fan, huge horror fan. Yeah, much like Kelly, you know, or much like me, Kelly is also, you know, he worships at the altar of Bernie Wrightson. And, you know, in fact, he was given the honor of finishing Frankenstein Alive, the last issue, when, you know, Bernie passed away. And Bernie specifically said, okay, you know, we need to have Kelly Jones finish this, you know? And so the last half yeah. of that issue is Kelly Jones finishing. I think Bernie left a handful of layouts and then Kelly Jones finished those layouts and then did, there's a handful of pages that he did, you know, from soup to nuts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Could you imagine, yeah. Can you imagine getting the, getting those and, and having to be the person to go over and finish the great Rison's work on a book? Oh man, I don't remember if, if it was in person that we talked about it or if it was uh, via one of our online discussions, but yeah. he told me about when they sent him the original art for the pages that he was going to finish. Yeah. And he said, you know, he was like, it was just massive. He, you know, it was just such a huge moment for him, you know, to get those pages and realize that, you know, like literally that's like a torch being passed. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> totally. You know, he told us, he told me, he goes, I said, is there anything at Marvel that you you would still like to do? And he goes, I want to do the Legion of Monsters and reboot oh, that. Yeah. I was yeah, like, right. oh, my God, Kelly Jones ran Legion of Monsters. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Is there yeah. anything out there that you would wish that if you had your druthers, 
not creator owned because I, I mean, I, well, you yeah, know, sure. I'm sure you want to do creator own. I, I think everybody does at some point. Some people don't like it. Like for instance, with Kelly, who we we're just talking about, his big thing was he did creator owned. He liked yeah. it, but he misses the collaboration and the teamwork. And yeah, so I do too. I, I have a lot of creator owned ideas. Yeah. Um, but I don't think I ever want to completely move away from doing licensed characters. Yeah. Uh, because I enjoy, for one, okay, so I, I think I'm anticipating your question, which is, are there any properties out there that I really want to work on? Yeah. Yeah. The first one, is it's kind of a tie. No, it's not a tie. The first one is the mic. <laughs> is uh, what? Cut out. Mic- oh, you cut out again. I'm sorry. It's the Micronauts. Oh, nice. Yeah. I, you know, the Micronauts are my first love as far as like, comic books i you know much like the first time i saw bernie wrightson i remember exactly where i was the first time i cracked an issue of the micronauts with michael golden's artwork in it nice and i loved the toys as a little kid and so when the comic came out and the comic was so good and michael golden's art was so amazingly good it really made me fall in love with his style and made me fall in love with the idea of drawing in a more realistic way, as opposed to a kind of a cartoonish way, you know? And so the Micronauts, they've just always been central to my love of everything comics. And then, and I love the characters and then, you know, kind of almost tied with that is Rom from, you know, Rom, the space Knight. both now, oh, yeah. both of those titles are owned by IDW. And so literally, and I'm, I'm not using literally the wrong way. I mean, it literally about once every two months, I send my editor and Chris Royal at IDW an email going, Hey man, just checking on, you know, like what the chances of a Micronauts or a ROM, you know, title is, you know, I'm always here <laughs> ready to draw it. You know, let me know. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. But as far as like with Marvel, They've got Conan now, and I would absolutely love to draw Conan. Uh, I'd love to draw Moon Knight. Moon Knight's so high on my list. With DC, I really want to draw Swamp Thing. I would like to take a stab at Batman, but my Batman would be a lot closer to Kelly Jones' version of Batman than to, like, the Jim Lee version, right? Like, to me, Batman is, well, Kelly said it best. Batman should be scary, right? So right. the dude who's in the room 10 minutes before you realize he's in the room. Right. Uh, and that's the Batman that I love. I want to draw the Batman with the crazy long cape and the super long ears and mostly in the shadows. I kind of want to do a Batman comic where you treat Batman almost like you treat Jaws in the movie Jaws, where you yeah. don't see him very much. You know what I mean? And when you do see him, it's just brief flashes, you know? Right. And you really pick and choose when you show Batman in all of his glory. Uh, that'd be awesome. It should be more of a menace on the outside of the story than the, the constant focus, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, but, you know, so, yeah. And then I re- I've i always really wanted to work on The Shadow. I love The Shadow. And Flash Gordon. I'd love to draw Flash Gordon. would be cool. You don't get a lot of good Flash Gordons anymore. No, like, the I, last... I don't know... I don't- Last time a good Flash Gordon, or Flash, well, I shouldn't say a good Flash Gordon. That sounds like everybody who did it sucked. That's not what I'm saying. I'm no, just, I, I haven't seen Flash Gordon come out in a long time. The the best Flash Gordon recently in the past, you know, like 10 years is, it's called, it was called Flash Gordon Zeitgeist that Dynamite put out. Jeez, ah, I don't even remember what year it was. I want to say it was around 2010, 2011. And it was written by Eric Troutman, and it had two different artists on it, both of whom were really good. But it was very much like they it was written in the style and it was drawn in the style of the Flash Gordon movie from the 80s. And so and it, the story was just fantastic. Eric Troutman's an amazing writer. And it, it was really like when I need a Flash Gordon fix, which is fairly often. I'll either put on the movie or I'll go back to that Flash Gordon zeitgeist and give it a read because it was so good. Yeah. I'll check it. I'll have to check it out. I have to check it out. Michael Golden, that guy, man, did you do you remember that poster he made that had like all of the Marvel characters on it? Yeah, it's so incredible. Yeah, I think that my- was the first time that we really saw 
like the quote unquote spaghetti webbing. Yeah, well, he was the guy that kind of pioneered that. In fact, you know, a lot of people will attribute that to McFarlane. But if you ask McFarlane, he'll tell you that he got it from Michael Golden. Yeah, it's on the it's a 82 poster. I remember my buddy had that in his room. I was like, oh, right. I wanted that poster so bad. Well, and Michael Golden was one of those artists that taught me, you know, just by example, you know, to think about what I was drawing, you know, because yeah. when you look at Michael Golden's art, especially his early art, like the stuff like the Micronauts. And then when he started doing the Nam, you can tell that he's thinking about the structure of the things that he's drawing. You know, he wants everything to look like it works, you know, whereas some artists will skimp on, you know, the interior design of something or the the internal logic of a machine or a, 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 of a, the physiology of an animal in place of just making it look bitching. You know what I mean? And yeah. there's certainly a place for that. But for me, I was so deeply impacted by Michael Golden's obvious level of thought that he put into the mechanics of what he was drawing, be it a physiological thing or a, a structural thing or a building or what have you. He really influenced me that way. Michael Golden is actually another guy that when I was trying to break into comics, he he was very helpful. In fact, he and I, I again, I, I hesitate to use the word friend, but we're very friendly. Yeah. Uh, in fact, so it's kind of a funny story. So when I first showed my portfolio at San Diego several years ago, I, I was showing it to an editor and I had a few pages of the Micronauts in there, just some pages that I dreamed up, you know, and, and he was looking at them and, and he said, these are pretty good, man. You should show them to Michael Golden. He's down on the floor. And Michael Golden being, you know, primary among my heroes, I I, I was like, that's not going to happen. You know, <laughs> because, you know, he's got a he's got a reputation for being a fairly blunt, you know, yeah. honest guy, right. you know, and if my hero looked at my work and told me I wasn't good enough, that would have really tear your heart in the thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, but I find he kind of talked me into it, you know, so I, I went down and I approached Michael and I showed it to him and he was very honest, but not cruelly. So, I mean, the thing about Michael is he was an editor at, at, or at uh, Marvel for years and so he knows how to be an art director. You know what I mean? He knows how to look at art and tell you what you need to do to improve it, not right. break you down and make you feel bad. Right. So it was actually a piece of advice that he gave me looking at my portfolio that took me from almost ready to do pro work to yeah. ready to do pro work. And it was just, you know, we were, as we're talking, he said, you need to do X, Y, and Z. I was like, oh, yeah. I sure do, don't I? You know, um, but, you're yeah, so right. <laughs> yeah, it was you know it was crazy. And I at that point I'd shown my work to literally four dozen editors. And when I say literally, I'm not I don't mean figuratively. I mean literally, like four yeah, yeah. dozen editors. You know, and they had all given me some were very useful pieces of information that weren't super impactful or profound all the way to the guy who told me how to draw to J like Jim Lee, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. But Michael and I had a great conversation. We talked about the Micronauts for like 45 minutes, which was nice. rad, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then what was cool is, you know, every year at Emerald city, WonderCon, or I'm sorry, San Diego, WonderCon, And then a couple of years at Rose Ooh. city, I would see Are you there. Yeah. I'm here. Hello? Ooh, Black, you have to be we lost you there? You there? Do you, do you, can you hear me? Oh. And we're back. And we're back. We're back. <laughs> and we're back with Blackie. Wait, no, <laughs> he's not here. We're back with us. No Blackie. That's right. So. Um, I noticed there at the end, Kenrick, that uh, it kind of cuts out and you kind of guys just uh -huh, stop uh -huh. talking. Like, like you uh -huh. could both, I could hear both of you talking on the recording, but you guys couldn't, he can, he could hear you, yep. but you couldn't hear him. And then just like stops. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Uh, what, what the hell, man? I don't know, man. I just got lazy and I said, <laughs> you know, this guy, he just pissed me off. I just had to we leave. Just done. No. We just, just done with it. Just done with it. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Skype started being weird, you know? Yeah. All of a sudden, we couldn't hear each other. I don't know if it was his connection or it could have been my connection. And then after all that, my the power went out. 
And when the power oh, went shit. out, I was, was done. Uh, my my mixer just stopped. So I was like, okay, well, I guess we're mm. done. And but I I think the overall gist of that interview is really good. Yeah. So I think it's. I mean, fine. it's over an hour, so yeah. it's it's. You guys were close to the. It just sucks because it ends with like towards the end of a story he was telling and then yeah. you just you don't you don't get the ending of that story <laughs> <laughs> so but people with ocd good. are gonna go nuts <laughs> right so it just means he has to come back on to finish the story that's right that's right yeah so. he was cool man he was a really cool guy I, I i would love to talk to him again i hope he uh does more mainstream stuff so, so people get his name more yeah you know because he yeah. deserves some more recognition because he's that good and follow him on twitter because i follow him on twitter and he, yeah. he's he's a funny guy yeah <laughs> yeah and he's very interactive so he is. He really if you is. interact with him, he's going to interact with you. Yeah, yeah. All right. I think that's a show. Yeah, that's that's a show. Yeah. Blackie was We're great. Good. Thanks for coming on. Uh, if you guys enjoyed that, then I highly recommend going over to spoilerverse.com, checking out the back issues. There's so many amazing people that we've talked to. I can't even begin to list them all. I, it wouldn't even, I wouldn't even want to try. I could get probably maybe less than 10% of them right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Before I started repeating names, I can't, right. I can't think of things. Right. But while you're, while you're there on Spoilers.com looking at all of our back, ish, back, back black issues, God dang it, back issues, right? Check out all the back issues for all the other shows that we have. And yep. check out our articles and previews and reviews. And go to the store, buy a shirt, buy a hoodie, look fly as hell, and help support us and to do what we do and do more of what we do. You know, I'm probably one of the only people in the world that can actually understand that. <laughs> that spiel? That spiel that you just said. I can go faster. I know, man. I've, okay. You got people, just so people understand, <laughs> we have worked so hard slowing John down. Yeah. And if you go back to some of the early episodes, there are times where I'm like, I don't even know what you said there. We, we actually had a, one time we had a real estate agent actually um, sponsor us. Yeah. And he, Johnny did the, the ad at the beginning and it was like, wait, what? Dude, I didn't understand. You couldn't even understand. I mean, if you slowed it down, he was saying everything. I was enunciating, and you were enunciating all the everything, <laughs> but you said it so fast, it just all ran together. Yep. It was yeah, crazy. Well, I mean, it's a gift <laughs> <laughs> and a curse. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> all right, guys. In an ocean's of podcasts, we are Cthulhu. And as Cthulhu compels you to do, open your mind and I, I keep doing stuff. Should we do one more? Or? Do you want to? Uh...